Welcome to the Unsuccess Podcast, a podcast where we talk about faith and ministry here in Portland, Oregon. And anything else we want to. And, and, <laughs> and anything I else I love we want interrupting to. you on, I know. on the intros, David. It's so great. I'm David Libby. And I'm Josh. Yeah. And, and we're here today with a, a friend of yours, a pretty new friend of yours, Josh, uh, Ken Lloyd. He's my best friend now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, thanks for being on the show. I'm looking forward to it with trepidation. <laughs> <laughs> you should. I mean, David and I should make you nervous. Okay. Mm. Um, so, Ken, tell us uh, kind of about... Wait, before? Ah, uh, what? Uh, I was just, it's been a couple of weeks since we've had a, sh- a show. And so, like, for our faithful listeners out there, do we want to, you know, say thank you for waiting for... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and then we've got a couple more too. Like we've we're shooting we three of breaks. these today. We're, we're kind of ADD a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We don't we do what we want. We don't. Um, we don't plan this show at That's all. What you keep we, saying you we, keep throwing us under the bus. David. We don't. We we put. Um, we 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 put like some effort into talking about who we want to have on the show, and then we. <laughs> Um, one of us will have a day where we will contact all of them. This time it was me. Last time it was you. And we just kind of contact everyone at the same time. See, when you say that, it's like, I mean, Ken is an incredible guest. And so you're like, yeah, I tried like, to talk. Oh, we don't plan it. You know, we just get whoever we can get. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and Ken was walking by and yeah, he was a little drunk, but <laughs> He, he looks like nothing special. So. Yeah, right. Oh, anyway. So we'll use him. <laughs> I'm really excited. Ken, you know, like the, the chances to get to talk to you. It's just your story fascinates me. Um, and it's really, really awesome. Um, so, yeah, I'll give, you, I'll give you a chance, a couple minutes to introduce yourself. Who's Ken Lloyd? Okay, who's Ken Lloyd? <clears throat> I was born in 1945. Wow! Uh, if you could imagine that, <laughs> if you I do can. the math, if you do the math on it, I should be dead. <laughs> um, but I, I was born into a different world. It was a completely different world in in the early fifties. Leave it to Beaver was uh, most everybody has seen that program or heard of it at any rate. Uh, Leave it to Beaver was actually a uh, propaganda thing to show, show the world the truth about what America is like. <laughs> but there was actually only one family in America, that was the Cleaver family, that acted like the Cleavers. Um, but I grew up in a world uh, where telephones plugged into the wall. <laughs> um, most women stayed home and uh, took care of the of the house and the family, and husbands went out and worked. Uh, it was a world where uh, you pretty well knew everybody in the neighborhood, um, and people stayed in the house in house in the same house for uh, decades at a time. So I was, I think, twenty five when I left our house. So I had never moved moved or lived anyplace else until that point. Um, I grew up in a neighborhood where um, it was a nuclear family neighborhood. Uh, and that included uh, a mom, a dad, or a, in, in descending order, a dad and then a mom, uh, and then the kids, and then the dog. Or maybe the dog somewhere higher in, on the hierarchy. <laughs> and the kids. Um, Women were, it was a highly misogynistic era. Uh, but I grew up with just a mom and no dad. Uh, and we were the Lloyd boys because we were always in trouble. Mm. Uh, so everybody knew the Lloyd boys. Um, but it was the kind of thing where Mrs. Gibbs would come and say, Hilda, we made this goulash, but there's no way we can eat it. Would you do us a favor? And... Uh, would you uh, just take it off our hands? 
and Go so get the Lloyd boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to feed the Lloyd boys. Um, but it was kind of like that. Uh, so it was. I I don't know how old I was before I realized what the game was. Mm. The game was to feed Hilda and her boys um, without shame. Mm. So, so quite a, you know the drawbacks of of the fifties were myriad and. Uh, uh, the wonderfulness of the 50s was amazing. Um, but I knew that something was wrong with me, and I knew my dad left because it was my fault. So, um, unsuccess, oh yeah, <laughs> I totally get it. Um, so, it'll be another four hours before I'm done with my life story, <laughs> and that'll be the short version. Uh, fast, fast forward to... Uh, drug addiction, which uh, that has uh, was ended. Uh, my practice of my drug and alcohol ad- addiction mm. was ended uh, about 13 years ago, pretty soon, pretty close. Um, um, Jesus People Movement, I don't know if you've heard of that movement. Mm-hmm. Um, the Jesus People Movement uh, was... Um, was amazing. Uh, it was very male heavy, um, but it was hippies uh, turning to Jesus. Just fantastic, explosive era uh, that was um, absolutely amazing. Uh, I loved being part of it, but. <coughs> Um, but that theme of failure has dogged me all my life. Um, I've been married three times. This last time for 42 years, so I'm pretty sure it's going to take. <laughs> so, it's it's going to stick. I hear once you pass the 40-year mark, it's you're, you're pretty well set. You're pretty well cruising. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, my wife has been... Um, the best thing that ever happened to me. She is utterly amazing. Uh, and I had surgery uh, almost six months ago, but I'm not improving very quickly. So she has to drive me places. Uh, if mm. if I'm uh, carrying my walker, uh, by, by the way, I started out with a walker that's got the tennis balls on it yep. and, and yeah. the front wheels. Um, and then I got a four-wheeler. I mean, I'm four-wheeling it now, and it's pretty crazy getting around. Um, she'll carry that upstairs for me wow. uh, if, it's, if it's more than a flight of stairs. Uh, she drives me everywhere. She loves me, and um, she's an amazing person. She's a life coach, and ro- she wrote a book. Uh, oh, man. Naturally, I forget... Uh, <laughs> Um, but anyway, at any rate, it's about, uh, her, uh, I think it's called your vocational credo. Mm. Um, and it has really changed my life. I was the first reader on the book. And so I, I got to, uh, encounter that, um, her name is Deborah Lloyd. Uh, you might want with your one vocational L. credo. Yeah. Okay. Or credo. I don't I think it's credo. I think I don't know. <laughs> you know, we could we could discuss this whether it's credo or credo. We could we could call around the neighborhood or <laughs> bring in your votes. Yeah, good podcast material. Yeah, right. Yeah, it'd be fascinating. Um, she has been successful. Um, uh, I have not been, um, but I've learned to love people. But because of my limitations, uh, I don't love ma- massive people. Mm. I, I was one of the pastors, one of 15 or 18 pastors on staff at um, a church up in Everett, Washington. Uh, but I never, I never could get it. I never could understand that many people. Mm. Um, and they were uh, normal Christians, I would say. Uh, and I never could understand them either. 
because there was, I think, there was a facade of success. I think. Um, I think most of us mm. are pretty well injury prone and, and failure prone, uh, but we we have learned to hide. So we become a kingdom of liars as opposed to uh, a kingdom of truth tellers and uh, wow. being honest. Yeah. Uh, so. I haven't been able to hide. I just uh, I'm not I'm not good at it. I have no idea why, uh, but I'm just not good at it. Uh, so uh, uh, some circumstances happened, and we left Seattle and we came to Portland, uh, and there was a bunch of young people that essentially nobody else wanted. They'd been kicked out of churches. They've uh, they were alternative kids. Uh, there were. Uh, like on our first day, there were 29 people in in a assigned band. You know, an assigned band is huge. Uh, Tooth and Nail was yeah. was a a hmm. big. What do you call them? Uh, a label. Yeah, a, a label. Huge label. Okay, so um, most of the people were uh, disenfranchised young people. Um, and it made sense. They made sense to me. I could understand them because I was one of them. What was that? Um, at breakfast this morning, you'd mentioned there's this group of young people who came and said, Hey, we need somebody to be responsible for us. Yes. yes. <laughs> Would you be willing? Yeah. So, so we came down to be responsible <laughs> for them. Um, and oddly enough, none of them ever came to the bridge, the church we started. Huh. And they eventually became our enemies. Um, and I think it was because it's, it's, nor it's absolutely normal, not just in the Christian world, but in any world. If you've got a group of people that have an expectation and you don't meet that expectation, either you exceed it too much or you're, mm. you never measure up to it, uh, then they'll probably come out swinging, and that's what happened with mm. those young people. Wow. They were great kids. They, we didn't meet meet their expectation. I, I, we never found out what it was that we. Mm. I think I think it was because we adopted the language of the people that were in the church, which was pretty crude. I mean, really crude. Um, crude by Christian standards. I, mm. I remember the uh, the first testimony we had at church. Testimony is a is a word that describes something. Tell tell us about uh, something good that Jesus has done for you. That's called a testimony when you when you tell. And the first one in the church um, was by American standards foul beyond belief, mm. um, <laughs> and. My wife slumped in her chair and thought, oh, no, this is terrible. <laughs> and I thought, at last, <laughs> I'm home. <Yeah>. I'm free. <laughs> so couldn't, couldn't make it in the church of 15 staffers because yeah. none of them would use language like that. Yeah, and well, and there's also the facade of we're, uh, what is it, uh, life changers and earth shakers or something yeah, like that, sure. the phrase. Mm. Well, see, uh, that would just... Uh, it would make me nauseous to hear that, and it made me sad because I knew that I was was failing. I knew that I couldn't be that, um, and so it was four years of extreme pain, but highly paid. <laughs> so there was some benefit to it, and the and the people were lovely. I loved the people of the church, and and uh, Deborah had a women's group, and I had a men's group. And uh, so all of the misfits of the church mm. collected in those two groups. And they, um, the uh, hierarchy uh, made fun of us uh, because we were all the losers. And then one day the pastor's wife, because there were no women pastors in that church, it was the pastor's mm. wife, she was, uh, he, she was saying, do you suppose... Uh, you guys could tear down, there's a, a garage on the property that was dilapidated and falling down. Do you suppose you could tear that garage down? So 
uh, Deborah and I got together and we rigged up uh, an old time, like a barn raising or old time, uh, you mm-hmm. know, on a on a Saturday, people of the church would collect together and then they would do a, the, the men would go out and do some kind of manly thing and the women would stay in the kitchen and they would cook and they would come out every couple hours with donuts and coffee and, mm-hmm. and then there'd be a lunch. And so we did that and it was driving rain and um, it was amazing the excitement uh, that the people had because because it wasn't there was no earth changers there there weren't mm. uh, any life changers it was uh, just 15 16 guys and the same number of women uh, doing a task mm. uh, and and uh, later on we built things for the church and so on like that and so mm. our group rather than being laughed at uh, behind their back, uh, our group became somewhat respected, mm-hmm. at least for being brawny. We could carry <laughs> things and break things and and build <laughs> things. Uh, and the and the women would come and they would do the old school thing, realizing that it was old school, that it wasn't it wasn't a contemporary kind of thing. It was just old school. Um, but we left Seattle, Everett, Washington, actually. Um, came here, and shortly I ran into a bunch of kids on the street. In the mid-90s and the late 90s, we had more uh, street kids or or unhoused uh, kids uh, on the streets of Portland uh, per capita than any city in the nation. Really? Oh, mm-hmm. gosh. Wow. And uh, when I ran into them, they were so fun. They were so... Mm. Uh, they were even fouler than <laughs> the people, people at the bridge. And I'm thinking, wow, not only did I die and go to heaven at the bridge, now I've gone to the heights. <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely amazing. They were so kind. They were so grateful for any crumb that, uh, you know, there's the, any, any crumb that fell off of our table, uh, they were grateful for. Embarrassingly so. So they would be uh, thankful for anything at all. Uh, Dorothy Day one time spoke of people who, uh, Dorothy Day is a started the Catholic Workers, yeah. um, and she did more uh, for people who were unhoused or uh, on the street than probably anybody I've ever heard of. Um, certainly... I'm I'm at at the other end of the spectrum, very few people, um, but she said they're they're ungrateful, and I think for me it's always been that they have been embarrassingly grateful. Mm. In other words, I'm I'm not I'm not here to get gratitude from you guys. I just want to be with you. I just I just mm. I just if you just let me be with you, I'll be I'll be happy. Mm. Um, so that's kind of my slant. You know, I've used the phrase mostly nothing special. Um, yeah. I love that. And I'm, and I'm fairly good at <laughs> mostly nothing special. <laughs> so you're, so you came, you moved to Portland in the nineties. Is that right? 98. 98. You moved to Portland. You started the bridge. Uh huh. Um, and, uh, that, that's a, f- a fun story and got connected with the, is that the meow meow was the uh-huh. club um, for underage uh-huh. um, and uh, so that uh, that phrase you just said I just wanted to be with people yeah um, how has that like how has that shaped your your ministry? And then, because from the bridge, then you kind of jumped around. You did a couple other things here mm-hmm. in downtown Portland, right? Um, but it, it it has that. It, would it be fair to say that that has been like the the motivating factor for all you've done? Um, is just the wanting to be with people. Yeah, you know, I don't know if it's selfish, or you know. I, I don't understand the, th- the theories of how my brain works or how life works. Um, 
I don't think all the psychologists in the world would understand how your brain works. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, true. Um, but it, it was it was when I was with them, I felt good. Uh, when I was with them, I felt complete. Um, so then, as, instead of being a ministry position, it was a something I ran to because of their beauty, because they were funny. I mean, talk about funny. Funny and foul at the same time is just mm. really delicious. <laughs> and so, um, and they were, they took care of each other. Uh, they fought amongst themselves sometimes, but they took care of each other. I mean, um, if if you landed on the street, all you'd have to do is go to down Pioneer Square or uh, downtown Portland, find somebody that looks really raggedy and say, I'm hungry. Uh, do you know where a meal is? In one week, you would know absolutely everything there is to know about downtown Portland because that's where the kids that I hung out with lived. Um, and they will take you to the meals. They will say, okay, you don't want to go there because they're mean. Uh, but you can go here, and you can get a sleeping bag. You can maybe get a tent if they have them, uh, and they're kind people. They're good people. Uh, so it was to watch them in action um, really transformed my life. Uh, and I try as best I can to emulate them, but I, ha I have too much. So if you have too much, then it's really hard to let go of anything. Uh, if, on the other hand, you don't have anything, <laughs> it doesn't hurt to give what little you have. So that's, on the street, that's the way it worked. Um, the beauty is absolutely astounding. Uh, and they're, they live uh, perilous lives. So what I did for, for them is to create a safe space for people who live perilous lives. That's my that's my shtick. Mm. Um, but it was so that we could all gather in one place and be together in one place at the same time. So uh, the the underground had maybe 100, 150 kids, all in this room that was twice this size. Wow. And it was an absolute blast. Chaos beyond chaos. Um, or if you take your concept of chaos off the table, then it's orderly. <laughs> so it was It was really chaos to the, the kind of the normal mind. A normal mind is, or they, they call people normals. On the street, they call people normals. If you have a car... If you live indoors, and and that car has to no car, have no cardboard in the windows, mm -hmm. um, and you have a job, um, that's so. There's the, there's the abnormal world, which is us, meaning those of us that live on the street, uh, and then there's the normal world, which is everybody else, mm. um, and they found some normals. Uh, that liked them because the thing is, is is they are literally kicked and spit on not so much in Portland but in, uh, in a lot of cities in California that I know of uh, I asked this kid one time he's the rain is you know in Portland or in yeah in Portland the uh, the rain comes kind of sideways sometimes yeah. mm -hmm. and it chills you to the bone there's there's th this kind of cold is kind of unique to the pacific northwest um and i asked him how come you came from uh san diego during this t uh, during this time of year when it's going to be bad all winter and he said because they don't spit on us here wow uh, and they don't hit us here or kick us or yell at us um, That's just commonplace in Southern California. Well, it's commonplace throughout the United States. We are we are not a, a happy society. We are, uh, if you look at our history, 
our history mm-hmm. is of war and oppression. Yeah. Yeah. We, we oppress uh, huge, huge numbers uh, of humans in this country, not counting the ones that we've, where we've colonized and so on like that. Um, but I just admired the street kids, and they let me in. Uh, I got to sit with them and hang out with them, uh, and they just called me the old man, uh, or, or the old punk, <laughs> or the, and they would yell across the street, hey, old man, <laughs> and I knew who they were talking to. I was talking to my wife just the other day about this idea of like better than, um, and really, really, there was really kind of, it came out of this place of realizing kind of privilege, um, of like examining my own life and been married for 17 years or almost 17 years and, um, have three, you know, amazing children and, and have a house and steady job and just like thinking about all of these things as really fortunate and being grateful and um like finding myself looking at looking at others who don't have that and thinking of those who live on the streets and thinking wow you know like i don't know realizing that what i have at least in society's standards is better than what they mm-hmm have or what they don't have you know like Mm -hmm. we i have something and they have nothing and but this idea of better than i'm i'm wondering ken have you have you ever felt that or experienced that that you were somehow better than or that you had you had more than and it kind of gave you kind of a a a one-up on on the street kids that you were ministering to um I think it's been an embarrassment to me because I, I mean, you, you drove by my house. It's a fourplex, mm-hmm. so we earn money by renting to, uh, to people. Um, I have tons. You know, when we first moved to Portland, we didn't pay taxes for fifteen years just because uh, we were <laughs> low income. Um, but uh, better than I'm. Uh, circumstances of my life and people that have come into my life uh, have helped me overcome the uh, the handicap of thinking that I'm better than, uh, which is too bad. So you, let me see if I hear hear understand you right. For owning a house in Portland, you feel embarrassed. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's my responsibility to provide for my family and 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 so on like that but um, if that, yeah that is such a flipping the script you know like that is that is like it oh it's it's so cool where like you have you found this home like when you were not not your house but coming to like coming to the street kids that testimony you know with all the foul foul language like you it it seems like wow these are these are my people this is and now like maybe going all the way back to as a kid gro- growing up and feeling like you never fit in mm-hmm. like now you've you feel like you fit in with these people mm-hmm. um and and they were the ones that transformed you instead of you preaching this message of transformation to get them mm-hmm. to be like everybody else, to mm-hmm. be normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jesus, want, Jesus wants you to be just like me. <laughs> well, isn't that what the church says? Yeah. 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 You need to clean up your language. You need to clean up everything. You need, and, and you need to be just like us. Uh, Jesus, Jesus wants you to be just like me. Uh, that's that is, good. That is such a well, church thing to think. Uh, a thought: You would, if if you were to, like, if you were put on staff at some regular church here in Portland, and you did things the way that you do now, you probably wouldn't make it very long. I'd, yeah. That I mean, just 
being real, that's probably the case. Yeah, yeah. if I went job hunting in the church world, I, I wouldn't make it. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't survive. And and I'm not suggesting that the church world is all wrong in every situation. I'm just saying that that I think we, because the church is a we to me. Mm-hmm. Um, we miss, have missed the point. Uh-huh. Uh, people were not afraid of Jesus. Uh-huh. And they hung out with him, and he hung out with them. Um, and he told jokes that were really funny, but because we read the Bible like it's flat, <laughs> none of the jokes happened. Uh, happens in our minds, you know, because it's all so important and, mm. and serious. Um, but I mean, um, people followed him, but I'd, I'm pretty sure that people d- didn't follow him because he told them how wrong they were and how sinful they were mm. and how uh, fallen they were. Uh, now, Jesus could say, be just like me, that'd be cool. But if, if that's a criterion to be like Jesus, then we need to get rid of everything that we own. Um, and I have to sell my fourplex, which I'm not, I'm not capable of doing. I can't, I can't bring myself to do that at this point in my life. Maybe sometime in the future that would be great. But uh, so if we're if we're following Jesus, then it doesn't look like anything in the church world that we know about. Hmm. Um, it now it, bits and pieces of it. Every time there's kind kindness. Uh, expressed to another human being, that's uh, that's the sound of Jesus' voice. Every time we stop and uh, give somebody sitting on the sidewalk uh, asking for spare change, and give them a $5 bill and then ask their name and hang out with them for a while, uh, that's the voice of Jesus coming out of us. Um, hmm. Prospering, financially prospering, that's not the voice of Jesus. It's it's not that Jesus was opposed to that at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that that's something aside from, you know, uh, I think a good part of the Christian world uh, says, um, I, have, I have money because I'm good and God is blessing me. Um, when those two things do not necessarily connect at all. Um, uh, I love the church. I just think we've, I think we've, I think we have, um, I guess I just want to say we're, we tend to be missing the point. Yeah. Um, Jesus liked people. He liked having people around. Every once in a while, he would get overwhelmed and he'd, he would go to be by himself, and very often the cr- the crowds followed him, <laughs> so he couldn't yeah. get away from them. Uh, and he was okay with that too. Um, but if we were to look into if we were looking into the Bible, uh, the big deal to God to Jesus uh, was um, the orphans and the poor, the widow and the stranger. Uh, border walls were not part of that uh, situation. So, if if you want to feel that, maybe maybe the the home that I feel when I'm hanging out with people who don't have anything is the presence of Jesus. Mm. You know, if if somebody said Jesus is coming to Portland, I wouldn't go to uh, St. Mark's Cathedral. Huh. Uh, but I would hang out where they hang out, where street kids hang out, because he'd more likely be there. Um, you shared with me, I wonder if, if you tell this a little bit, but you shared with me recently your your image of heaven and mm. you to die, for when you die and go to heaven, where, what is that like for you? What's the image that you have? Well, the image is 
uh, you know, downtown Portland is kind of a wreck right now. It won't always be that way, but it is. Lots of areas are boarded up windows and so on like that. So uh, I die uh, either from infirmity and old age or or get shot or whatever, you know. Um, but when I land there, it's it's dingy and dirty. Uh, newspapers are blowing in little um, little whirlwinds, and I land on a corner and I'm by myself. But kitty corner to me are all of the people that have young people that have died and gone. As it turns out, Jesus is there too, but I don't in, I don't instantly recognize him because there's no halo. Uh, and there's and there's no people bowing down. He's just among them, uh, and they motion me to come over, and then begins a, a long series of hugs and tears and laughter and bad language and all of that. Uh, and that's what I dream of. Uh, if there if there is a heaven, then that's the one that I plan on it. And and if you if you look uh, in the Old Testament. There's one stellar person in the Old Testament, and that was Moses. And the reason, he, in my mind, that he was stellar is when God said to him, "Okay, these people have sinned. I'm just going to destroy them, and then out of your, out of your loins, out of your uh, progeny, um, I'm going to uh, make a new people." And Moses said, "You know, you could do that if you want. I'm, I'm fine with that. But just keep in mind, I'm with them." Yeah, uh, he wow. he literally took his life. Yeah, uh, that and passage he, wrecks me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm saying to God, and I remember the day that I did it. I said, even if you don't go down with me, because people were dying sometimes as many as four in a day, mm. if the heroin was good, which means really bad. Uh, even if you don't can go to downtown with me, I'm still going, and. Um, and so I have this concept. What if every Christian could encompass around a group of people that their being could handle? You know, so some people would be able to handle a thousand people that they would stand with. Uh, with me, it would be any street kid or um, older person who lives on the street and stand me a pipsqueak in the presence of the God of the universe and say, these are my people, uh, so I'm with them. If you want me, then you'll take a, we'll take us all. Um, wow. Oh, and, but imagine, imagine Christians doing that rather than wandering around telling people uh, that they're going to hell and, they're sin and that they're right. sinners. Um, there's another, there's another way of doing this Christian game, I think, and it does not include hell. It does not include condemning people. It does not include uh, telling people, be just like me. Um, it is saying, I stand with my people, the ones that I can encompass in my heart and in my mind, uh, and I won't let them go. So whatever whatever that happened, whatever whatever happens to them happens to me. Wow. Oh, that's so good. That's so that's so counter to anything like you I mean you're talking about this um <clears throat> idea for a writing project called Maybe Nothing Special. Uh -huh. I don't know if that was not supposed to be said on here, but um, yeah. Whatever. Um uh and and that's like the only kind of thing you could you could write from from your perspective because um if if you think of how to how the christian world has done it how to grow a church if you go like full on uh fire and brimstone type of preaching you'll you'll get a following you'll get a pretty good size following if you if you do a very condemny sort of thing 
you'll you'll get a pretty big following. But if you try and live life with people and say these are my people and I'm with them, it it's not gonna make much of a blip, but it it sounds and feels and smells a lot more Jesus-y than um than the farmer, at least to me. So um one one thing I'd like to hear if you're if you're open to talking about it and you uh-huh. can shoot this down, but you mentioned um right up top that you're thirteen years clean. Uh-huh. Um and you've been here since ninety eight, so there's definitely an overlap in the work you've been doing here and also being an addict. I just I just like most people aren't really open about that. Um what like what was the um the what was life like um uh being addicted and um deciding to get clean while also um working alongside these kids do, i mean do you mind sharing about that yeah well um during the jesus people movement one of the things that happened was nearly everybody got Delivered, which is a term uh, that indicates that you're free from something that you, that was holding you back. Um, everybody, literally everybody I knew in the Jesus people got clean and, and sober, except me. Mm. Um, mm. And, but it was only um, probably 40 years that it took me... <laughs> From that until, <laughs> so it wasn't a long time, <laughs> you know. I mean, the, the planet is fifteen billion years old, or something like that. So. Yeah, yeah. This is a just blip. a blip. You're yeah. Good. <laughs> um, and it and it wasn't just alcohol or just whatever, you know. I mean, um, I realized one day that every, you know, sin. It, is missing the mark, but but most of us, when we hear the word sin, it means we're doing something bad. Mm. Um, I realized that um, if I didn't do it, if I haven't done a sin, it's because it didn't occur to me. I didn't have access to it. Uh, it repulsed me. I was afraid to do it. Um, but there was never a time that I was too good for it. Mm-hmm. In other words, there was, it, you know, my righteousness never extended to stop sinning. Never extended that far. Um, sometimes I grieved myself so badly that I stopped. Mm-hmm. So with, with my wife, uh, faithful and kind and loving, um, I'm wrecking her life and damaging my children. Eventually, I felt so bad. Mm. Um, I re- remember when I finally decided to to fight for freedom. <clears throat> uh, my granddaughter was uh, six years old, I think, and I got just totally shit faced in front of her, and I realized one day is going to. Somebody's going to ask her, what, what's your grandfather like? And she'll say, he, he was a nice old guy. He was just drunk all the time. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't bear that. Wow. So a series of a month or two after that, I finally... <laughs> so so here's, my, here's my AA group. It's a bunch of guys underneath a bridge. Um... And our meeting was ostensibly a a church called Home PDX. Uh, And every week I would say, man, I've I've had six days sober and the whole crowd would cheer. (laughs) (laughs) And then the next week I would say, I was so drunk last night and my head is pounding. I can hardly talk. And they would, and they would say, we love you, Ken, and, and you belong to us. Mm. Now these were these were not uh, 
these were not missionaries. <laughs> these were these were tough people who lived in on the street. Uh, some of them woke up in the morning on Sunday mornings, um, and their bedroom was where we were going to do our church that day. Uh, and so they loved me uh, till I could live, until I could function. Wow, it's um, incredible. The only thing I've ever encountered that worked on me was love, and it, it, it took a long time. Yeah. Wow. It's, um, it's interesting because uh, we know a lot of, um, not just pastors, but Christian leaders in general who are either um, trying to get clean or are... Um, uh, recovering addicts and um and it's it's shocking to me how similar the stories are and yet how rare it is that um uh christians feel free to tell them mm-hmm. and um i don't know if maybe it would it would be helpful if like more more people told their stories or not? I'm not sure. I don't know um, why that is, but um, I I really appreciate you telling yours, and I I know that it's an incredibly common story, especially among um, among church leaders. They just kind of keep it keep it quiet. Yeah, it's interesting. You're um, so for me. I drew, I I grew up in a teetotaling house, mm-hmm. and you know, like. Alcohol and drugs were just, it was just like, oh, that's the devil. You know, like it, that's mm-hmm. a sin. And I remember it was um, my first alcohol that I had was when I was about 30. And it hit me. Like for me, it was, um, oh, like I, I was too good for that. Okay. And that that was a convicting point for me, like to realize. And so that was for me the sin and this this sounds weird. I, I like coming from where I was, the sin was to not drink. Like that became this self righteous. Okay, I'm better than the than sin other was people. the self righteousness. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and so that became kind of a, a turning point um, mm-hmm. for me. That but that <clears throat> our perspective and our understanding of sin and righteousness I think is has really missed the mark in so many ways um, because we've relegated it to certain behaviors mm-hmm. like you need to look a certain way you need to talk a certain way and act right. a certain way mm-hmm. um, well and it takes it takes uh, in in no way does it take into account um, uh, people's backgrounds, people's upbringings, people's um, uh, heritage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like um, we uh, we put a lot of um, just blame and onus on an individual person for the choices that they made <laughs> instead of yeah. like um, taking into account plenty of other societal factors to be able to really love and engage with each other without, without that self-righteousness is, Oh man, I don't know how, like, Ken, you seem to have a gift to be able to do that, that I, I frankly don't know how to, like I, um, and I don't know if, is that something that that you think can be can be learned? Um, you know, uh, it can be learned. You know, I kind of fell into it naturally just because of my continuing uh, continuing failure in every area of my life. Uh, but if if you proximity is really the big deal. Um, for example, LGBTQ uh, plus uh, oh, there's 
huge controversy. Should they be allowed in the church and so on like that? Well, right. that was that was never an issue at the bridge or the underground. Uh, at one point, there were um, probably six or eight people at the underground who were in various stages of transition from male to female or female to male. And I, I was telling somebody that I love, dearly, dearly love, pastor from eastern Washington, telling him about that and how I felt. I just, I was so warmed by their presence, and then I was felt like God had trusted me, like, God, you trusted me with something. You know, I'm likely to drop it, but at least you trusted me with having those folks in my building and part of our community. And he said, well, they'll reap what they sow. Oh, my God. Uh, so who's bound? Oh. Yeah, um, yeah. Who's, who's, who's tied up? But the thing is, if that person had come yeah. and hung out with them, he would see their humanity, and they would cleanse him. And they yeah. would make him clean. Um, and so... Lucky me, I'm a loser, and I get to be around people who have been called losers all their life. Mm. Uh, and, and they've been scorned because they were an alcoholic or a drug addict or whatever, but I had certain drugs and, and alcohol that just made the pain stop. All I wanted is the pain to stop. Mm. Or certain drugs enabled me to feel good about myself. So I want to I want to feel good about them. now they all have a kickback. So you end up hurting worse than than if you hadn't done that. But but that wasn't the issue. The issue was that I hurt. And so all I have to do is look in somebody's eyes and it's there. The pain, the the embarrassment, the uh, all hidden very often by bravado. Um, but I get to be around people who are open about who they are and what they do. Uh, that's a really freeing, you know, talk about a free culture. That would be people who live at the lowest rungs of the ladder uh, in any culture. Wow. Mm. Man, I'm just like... <laughs> that's powerful. Um, still this again, like, oh my gosh, like the, this, this pastor ministry leader friend from Easter Washington, like if he would come down, he would be freed and transformed. That's the opposite message that we've preached forever. Like heaven is supposed to be streets of gold, not newspapers floating around yet. That is there's this like ah oh, like the the heart and the message of Jesus that we just miss and and there's something like there's something Ken with you there's something genuine and and true and authentic that frankly doesn't exist in most churches and really frankly even beyond that in in societal structures mm -hmm. um like in my neighborhood there's it it doesn't with my neighbors I, we're close and I feel like pretty authentic but there's still there's still a facade that we play there's still a game we play um that it seems like there's this freedom once and it and it it lives in the streets of portland yeah it um, does that is this unboundedness Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, uh, there's, you know, uh, if you want to film somebody and, and film them acting normal, it takes a few minutes or, or an hour or two uh, of them just being in the range of the camera before they forget there's a camera there. Yeah. Okay. So imagine this. Um, the eyes of Portland are on the people on the street. And everything they do, whether it's take a dump or take a leak in an alley or have sex, uh, they're doing it in public. Um, 
if they fight, they're doing it in public. If they slap somebody, their partner, they're doing that in public. But walk down the street, and we know, we just absolutely know statistically that that's happening in many of these houses. The thing is, is that um, they get to do it in private. Yeah. You know, I'm, most of most of my alcohol and drug use was indoors. It was an indoor uh, situation. So, so I could literally go to church and, and nobody would know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that is something I n- never really thought about. <laughs> like at all. And, and it's shocking that that's the case. Um, we've been involved uh, with our church in um, some, like a building project um, and some work with houseless folks. And there are we get phone calls like on the daily from neighbors who've seen things. And it, it did not occur to me till just now that the people who are being called on are being watched 24 seven. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. <laughs> and, and then I, I look at you two guys oh, and I looked across the street and there's uh, it, what's it called? What's the name Saint, of the... the St. John's Village. Yeah, the village is St. John's Village. St. John's Village. Yeah. Um, and so doing good, following in the way of Jesus, according to the way of Jesus, is you take care of people that are hungry and don't have clothes and that have no place to live, and you put them in houses and find people um, go ballistic. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. People who live indoors and have all the advantages that n- nobody, literally nobody, uh, up until the last maybe um, hundred years or so, there were there was no ninety ninety to ninety nine percent of people lived in grinding poverty. Um, but now we live n- normally. We live indoors. Uh, in sumptuous uh, luxury. We eat so much that we get fat. I'm proof of that. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to to cinch my belt up this morning and uh, talk about expletives. (laughs) 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 I finally got it on the last rung. Uh, But just just imagine Mm -hmm. the people that have lived on these the streets of the wealthiest country the world has ever known uh, landed there because of failure, real or imagined. Mm. Uh, And usually that real or imagined failure was trumpeted to them by somebody whose righteousness was um, very evident to themselves. Mm. uh, wow. And you know something? People are good. It's just that we have a history. Uh, I'm kind of a minor his- history buff. We have a history uh, in this, uh, certainly in this country, of conquering people that are weaker than ourselves, weaker in the sense of technologically weaker, uh, or maybe they they don't have uh, as... Uh, a strong a drive to acquire things, whether whether it was property or gold or whatever. Um, I wouldn't say we have a history of that. I'd say that's our only history. <laughs> yeah, that's our. Yeah, it is. Uh, but in that, most of those people, most of us people, who live in sup- sumptuous luxury, uh, love our wives and our children. People are good. Um, but very often from the top down, that would be, uh, well, our most recent president that is no longer president, uh, made it abundantly clear that people that were, uh, not like us did not deserve to live. 
uh, and certainly not to uh, not to live in this country, our country, even though uh, we're all immigrants except Native Americans. Um, there's there's a different way of looking at life, but you usually only get that through failure. Wow. Yeah. Failure is a is an ugly friend. Mm. <laughs> We don't want to look at it, um, but I, I, lo I look at the failures in my life, uh, and I realize that the reason that I'm well-liked in downtown is because I'm a failure and I know it. Mm. And they, the person who lives outdoors has to know the person walking towards him or her, what they're going to do and what they're like. And they recognize me by the tilt of my shoulders, the hang of my head, uh, the, the movement of my eyes and my mouth, uh, and the shuffle of my feet, whether I'm safe or not. Oh, wow. And safety usually comes in the form of the recognition, either consciously or unconsciously, of my own failure. Um, Wow, dude. So, they, so they, they had you marked before you even said a word to them? I think, I think so, because, wow. you know, I mean, um, at, at the kind of churches that we, we started in downtown Portland, um, they were mostly peaceful. They were mostly kind. They were immensely grateful to the point of embarrassment. Um, and people would come from other nonprofits. They kind of come and sniff around. They've heard about us and so on like that. And I've had people say, Ken, you don't realize that these are not, the, these, these people are not the same when, we're, when they're not here. When they come to our nonprofit, they break things, they lie, they cheat, they're violent and ungrateful and, and so on like that. Not one person has asked me, how come it's different here? Really? Um, they just came to warn you, but they didn't come yeah. to seek you out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. And, and it's, yeah. I think it's because... We human beings get on a track, mm -hmm. and and our and our vision are, is it's like if you if you put on a pair of glasses that only gave you a pinhole to look through, uh, you you don't see what's going on around you, and and so when you see something that's different than what you have been seeing, it has to be wrong. I mean, we're we're absolutely terrified of difference. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's an acquired taste, but once you once you get it, it's totally fun. Um, it's hard uh, and very painful sometimes, but it's totally fun. Wow! Oh, that's so good, Ken. Well, um, uh, it's uh it's been about an hour, um, but we we just want to thank you so much for being on with us and. Talking with us about your work, I think there's been a lot, um, a lot to unpack with this episode. Like um, that, we'll probably be talking about um, in future episodes for some time. Um, part of what we do is we have someone on, and then if we keep, if we keep discussing what they said for like weeks on end, we just turn on the podcast and keep talking about it. <laughs> so we might start talking about you a little later. Um, probably mostly positive, maybe a little, but probably nothing <laughs> special, <laughs> yeah, right. that's, which reminds me, that's the title of my new, com my, my new book coming out soon. <laughs> like, Is it? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How no, much I'm, I'm you failing, have written? I'm failing at that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually writing, uh, stories, um, about beautiful people. Mm. Mm. Oh, so good. So good. I'm I'm really excited for that. And the the great thing is, um, if we learned anything from uh, 
um, Tolkien's son finishing one of his books is that like you can't you can't fail completely. Like if you finish some of it, someone else will finish it for you. Mm-hmm. You'll, so you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no full on failing with book writing. But yeah. If you want something not that didn't fail, you know, talk to Ken's wife. Yeah, that's um, exactly her book. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You You're, you married yeah. up, dude. <laughs> I, I, think, I think most guys do, but me yeah. especially. Wow. <laughs> oh. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for being on and for Thank the you. Unsuccess yeah, Podcast. Well, if, you wanna, David. if you ever want to talk to Ken, you can find him at his office at the, the corner of Mississippi and what's that other street? At Fresh Pot. He hangs uh, let's out see. there. That's your office? Uh, Mississippi and Shaver. It's a coffee shop. Ah. Yeah, Fresh <laughs> Pot. You can find him at the, nice. the corner Yeah, at the Fresh there. Pot. Excellent coffee and excellent people. And he goes by old man, so. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Look look for the old tattooed guy. He'll, <laughs> he'll, uh, he'll be there. Wonderful. Well, for the Unsuccess Podcast, I'm David. And I'm the other guy. And we'll see you next time.